What is good? Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Welcome to episode 16 of the Gold Standard Podcast. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera, and very thankful today to be joined, as always, by the one and only Levin Black. You're going to make me cry over here, Rob. You know, I wasn't going to be so snarky, but I just can't help it with these introductions. (laughs) I tried to be nice. I tried to start the show with a compliment, and yet, here you are. Hey, I said you were going to make me cry. You know, I don't cry for anything, much to my wife's annoyance, but maybe I'll shed a tear here. I bet you're an ugly crier, aren't you? (laughs) I wouldn't know. Uh, I've honestly not cried in a really long time. Stunning development of the day right there. (laughs) So look, I know other podcasts are on hiatus. They may be off, but we recognize it's Thanksgiving. You may be traveling somewhere and you may want something to listen to. So here we are and we can't start the pod. We can't get into the football right away because we have to acknowledge the holiday. And I saw a tweet from Niners Nation 11 asking for unpopular Thanksgiving food takes. And I got to tell you, as always, the faithful did not disappoint. At Modern Day Lawyer says, mashed cauliflower is way better than mashed potatoes. Like, that may be the single worst Thanksgiving food take I've ever heard. Can we get Niners Nation to block that guy? (laughs) (laughs) Mashed cauliflower? What the hell? I, I have tried it. If you're trying to stay away from potatoes, like on a keto diet, it's a decent alternative. But if you're not on one of those diets, yeah, you, you're smoking something. I don't know what. Cauliflower, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, how about this one? At SLDER78. Eating stuffing must be like what eating a moist dish sponge feels like. I totally agree with that. Stuffing is terrible. In fact, we're not even making it in the Guerrera household this year. <laughs> That's my wife's favorite. For me, I never liked it as a kid at all. When I got together with my wife, I tried it again. It's okay. I might have a couple spoonfuls of it, but yeah, it's not my cup of tea. And then one more, and this is from Jimmy G's public enemy number one. He says, (laughs) 60% of traditional Thanksgiving food is trash. And they, including, and now he has a list, turkey, stuffing, mac and cheese, cranberries, green beans, greens in general, and this last one, which I totally agree with, all pies. Oh, heck no. The pies are the best part, for one. No. For two, he had me on the initial premise. I thought maybe his percentage is a little high, but I get it, and I agree, and then he read off, and like some of the best things were on his list, and I was like, okay, this guy's got a brilliant idea, but has no idea how to execute. (laughs) Yeah, turkey. The 49ers backup players at times. He's the Nick Mullins of (laughs) Of tweeters. Uh, (laughs) uh, But yeah, turkey in terms of a meat, it's one of the worst meats. Like it's dry. It's not very flavorful. I mean, you got me at the cranberry sauce. I've never really cared for. I honestly never even put it on my plate like I did when I was a kid. I've tried it once since I was an adult and was like, nah, I'm good. I don't need that. It just doesn't mix with everything else. It's like, okay, and when I'm ready for my sweets, I'll have the pies. I don't need the sweet on top of all this like earthy, heavy carbs. All pie is trash and fruit should never be cooked. I have spoken. Uh, yeah. Okay. 
We're never going to agree on that one. We could probably have an hour long pod just on that topic because I love pie and fruit ones are amazing and something is wrong with you. But we all know that because you actively recruited me to join you on this podcast. So something is definitely wrong with you. That, well, many people can attest to that. In fact, as we record this, my wife is literally baking two apple pies right now, neither of which I have any intention of eating. Well, at least you married well. (laughs) No argument there. That's the one thing we'll agree with. Um, So this pod is going to be, you know, maybe what? I was going to say, I got two things. One, him saying mac and cheese. What are you smoking? That's like the best side of anything. Two, I didn't hear green bean casserole unless I missed it. And to me, that's the worst thing of Thanksgiving food. Like I never, I never touched it. I tried it when I was a kid, thought this is kind of gross. Tried it once as an adult, thought, yep, this was definitely gross. Just like I thought as a kid. (laughs) You confirmed (laughs) the, uh, he didn't say green bean casserole. He said green beans, which I don't like the casserole, but we do have green beans at our house, but they're like, it's a cold green bean dish. It's not, it's not hot. Green beans are okay in the list of like sides I would have, like with a steak or whatever. Green beans is pretty far down on that list, but if it's there, yeah, I'll eat it. You know, I don't hate green beans, but the casserole is just like, this doesn't go together. What the heck is this? Yeah, no. No, no good on the casserole. I'm all set there. So there you go. There's your little Thanksgiving rundown of the foods. We also, oh, let me just real quick. We have lasagna for Thanksgiving in my house. Is that like a totally crazy thing? Have you heard of this? Like I married a real Italian. Like my wife's grandmother is from Italy. Yeah. So are my grandparents. Yeah. Born in Italy. She was, she lived with her grandmother and parents in the same household growing up. I just spent like almost 20 grand on a Europe trip that had to spend half of that time in Italy because of my wife. No, like, She's never even mentioned doing lasagna on Thanksgiving. Yeah, well, throw it out there and your life will be a lot better. I'm just saying. I can have lasagna whenever. You can have all this food whenever. They don't stop selling turkeys after Thanksgiving. Who is going to spend the time to cook a stupid freaking bird that's not even that flavorful except for on Thanksgiving? (laughs) You could if you want to is my point. (laughs) Yeah, you could. But nobody's going through that time and effort and pain, except for Thanksgiving. True. Yeah, we do not we do not bake the turkey any other time of year, because Christmas is well. Okay, we're now we're veering off into all those things. <laughs> Let's get to some football, please. Um, the obvious question with this team, and I think in this season it, it's worth doing because this has been such a deflating season at times, so frustrating because the team can never seem to get its footing under it. So today we're going to be positive and we're going to take a look at things that we are thankful for with this 49ers team and maybe some other things as well. And I want to start it off, Levin, because this to me was number one on my list easily. And to me, it's I'm thankful that we have a front office here that gets it. Okay, their football philosophies finally line up. They align, they their contracts align, so they're both pulling in the same direction. There's no, like, we need to win now versus we need to lose games to get a better draft pick. Like, they're both on the same page there, and they're willing to swing big. They're willing to make some high-cost, high-value moves. D Ford, 
I mean, you can, it didn't work out because he got hurt so much, but they still took the swing. They still went for it. You know, the, the, they asked for Tom Brady when they were talking to the Patriots before the Jimmy Garoppolo trade, like they are not afraid to make big blockbuster moves. And I like that, especially as a fan, like number one, it keeps it interesting. And number two, like you have a chance to make some bold moves and maybe win a Super Bowl. So to me, I'm super thankful that that's what the 49ers have in the front office right now. Yeah. I mean, so the whole like analytics hasn't quite hit the NFL like it did Major League Baseball 20 years ago with Billy Bean and like it's pretty much currently hitting the NBA for the last like five years or so pretty much ever since Steph Curry blew up all the teams have been looking okay what what do the analytics say is the best way to go about it the NFL hasn't quite gone in that direction and I think one of the kind of stuffy old things that have been passed down and people still buy into when running a team is they're almost scared to trade. You know, they don't want to trade unless it's like crazy good in their favor because they don't want to be wrong. They don't want to get the worst part of it and have everybody looking back going, what were you doing? You know, the only time they seem to trade is during the draft. Like player trades are pretty rare. You've seen that kind of change. Like this year's trade deadline was actually a trade deadline. Like first time in NFL history, the trade deadline actually saw deals happen. You know what I mean? So it's kind of nice because I feel like John Lynch, I think he's the driving force in the season. I don't think Kyle Shanahan has a whole lot to do during the season. He's too busy coaching. So the these trades like the Quan Alexander trade, you know, that that's going to be a really good trade that's going to pay off next year in cap space. Getting D Ford, getting Jimmy Garoppolo, making the call about Tom Brady. I think those are more like a John Lynch thing. And I think he is kind of a little bit in the new age where he's more willing to make trades like that. And I like that. Yeah. I mean, even the Emmanuel Sanders trade last year, they saw a need there and they addressed it. And obviously it hurt to lose the picks, but I mean, I don't know that they get to a Super Bowl without Emmanuel Sanders and, you know, say what you want. He makes the move. He burns the defender at the end of the Super Bowl. He's wide open and Jimmy G overthrows him. But Sanders did his part. And let me say this. They do it. I don't know if you want to say correctly, smartly, whatever, because, you know, they could go for we've talked about this before. They could have gone for an Antonio Brown. They could have gone for a Kareem Hunt. But there, there's a there's a line in the sand, if you want to put it that way, of where they're not going to go. Yeah, they're willing to bring in new guys and think outside the box and, you know, not try to just do it in-house through the draft only, but they're not willing to cross a certain moral barrier and destroy a locker room by bringing in a questionable character potentially or troublemaker like Antonio Brown, things like that. Like, what would this locker room be like with, like, I think Antonio Brown's only behaving because he has Tom Brady right now. And even then, he still has this whole security camera smashing thing that came about. And the team's basically like, yeah, we know we don't care. Like, How would that play in, with the 49ers and having Jimmy Garoppolo getting questioned and you have a receiver like Antonio Brown? You think he's going to be quiet? No. Like, I, I like that they kind of have this line that they're not willing to cross. And so it, it, it's being new age, thinking outside the box, but at the same time, not completely selling your soul to try to win. Yeah, it's nice to have a bunch of guys in the locker room that you can feel good rooting for. Like, that wasn't always the case with the 49ers. In the Jim Harbaugh era, they had some guys in there that, you know, you're you're maybe happy to see them on the football field, but not anywhere else. And and for this, they said that they would clean it up when they took over. 
They made that point to say that they're not just going to sacrifice all on the altar of talent, and they've done it. And they, you know, barring this year, I mean, once they got their roster together, they had been successful. So I agree with you totally on that front. It is nice to see. What is the first thing that you are thankful for? Well, I wrote down the most obvious one, Fred Warner. I mean, he's the top player on this team. You've heard people like Aaron Rodgers call him the best linebacker in the league. He's taken that next step. I think it's potentially the hardest step to make. There's a lot of linebackers that come out. They look good. They become potential pro bowlers. They might make a couple pro bowls in their career, but they never make that step to true elite game-changing linebackers that are just a force to be reckoned with and you got a game plan around. Fred Warner's made that step this year. He's become a middle linebacker that when you're facing the Niners, you're game planning for him. And every single play, you're saying, pay attention to where he's at. We got to, we got to account for him. And I'm also thankful that there were 31 other teams that passed on him twice in the draft and we were able to scoop him up in the third round because he is definitely helping us from a salary standpoint. But you're right. I mean, he is the leader of the defense. He's everywhere, seemingly every play. He is one of two people on the defense that can absolutely wreck a game plan. And unfortunately for the 49ers, this year he's the only one of those guys that's not hurt. But, I mean, everything good about Fred Warner. And I totally agree. He should he should clearly be at the top of the list. Um, there is an argument for Darius Leonard that I didn't realize was as close it is, as it is, but I still think Fred Warner is the best. Yeah, it, it's one of those situations that, you know, take your pick. It's like, you know, a few years ago, take your pick between Bobby Wagner and Luke Keekley. Like, yeah, they're both truly elites. They're both capable of doing everything. They might be slightly different, but they're both, they don't have a hold of their game. You know, like, you know, Darius Leonard, I think, has a little bit more speed. Fred Warner is a little bit stronger. He's, I think, probably a little bit better at recognizing because he has to be because he doesn't have that game-changing speed. And, you know, they're, they're the, the next two. You know, there, there seems to always be two middle linebackers, sometimes three, that are in this truly elite, you know, Ray Lewis territory of, like I said, every single time you play them, every single play, the offense is paying attention to where he's at. Isn't it crazy the tradition of 49ers linebackers that sort of seems to have arisen here? I mean, Patrick Willis, Navarro Bowman, and Fred Warner, I think, is right there with them. Do you Would you agree, or is that too hasty by me? I think, um, so, I mean, last year, I kind of shot this down, or I guess it was beginning of this year. It's hard to remember exactly when it was, but, you know, I, I, I took issue with people saying, Fred Warner is as good as Patrick Willis ever was. No, I'm not. I'm not sure any line like the, there's truly only one or two linebackers in the history of the NFL that you can say were as good at a peak as Patrick Willis. He he's a freak of nature. He is the freak of nature athletically of the middle linebackers in the history of the NFL because of the speed he had and the size he had. I don't want to put Fred Warner in that category because I don't think anybody can really get there. But is he is he as good as Fred Bolt? Bowman or Navarro Bowman. <laughs> yeah, I think he's right there, which means he's all pro caliber, which means he's in the conversation. There was a period when Patrick Willis started to decline a tiny bit and injuries started to affect him that Navarro Bowman had an argument to be better than him. And that's where Fred Warner is. I think Fred Warner is an all pro. He's like I said, right there for the best linebacker in the league. 
Is he at the level of gets to be in an argument for the best linebacker in history or recent history? No. And that means he's not Patrick Willis level. By the way, congratulations, Patrick Willis, named among the 25 semifinalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. This is his second year being eligible for that, and he's made it both years. Um, just as an aside, the, the class is going to get whittled down a lot between now and the week that they vote uh, right before the Super Bowl. Do you think that Willis sneaks in this year? It's really tough. I think he absolutely should be in amongst these three Niner-related people that are on, on the ballot between Brian Young, him, and John Lynch, I think he has by far the best case. I think John Lynch will definitely eventually get in. And BY is, you know, I was actually thinking about this uh, earlier today. He's kind of like that borderline. He's the guy that, he's like a DeForest Buckner. He's really, really good when he played. He's one of the best defensive tackles for a really long time throughout his career but he doesn't have the statistics. He doesn't have what shows up in a box score, which means when he retires, he's going to have to rely on people remembering how good he was. But at the same time, when he played, he was never quite the best. You know what I mean? Like Brian Young was never quite the best defensive tackle. He was just for more than a decade, one of the top five defensive tackles in the league. DeForest Buckner's the same because, you know, he's dealing with Aaron Donald and, you know, he's never going to be the best. And when you don't have the statistics, that that's a tall order to get voted in years later. He but, does have 89 and a half sacks, which for a T tackle is pretty crazy. Yeah, but it's not an eye-popping sack total. Like, one of his contemporaries is Warren Sapp. Warren Sapp had more. That's what he's running into. He, he played in an era that... If you go compare him, you go, okay, what can we hang his hat on? Oh, he had a bunch of sacks as a defensive tackle. Oh, there was a defensive tackle that literally played almost the exact same time that had more sacks. Like, he doesn't quite have anything to hang his hat on. I think he has a chance of getting in. I certainly hope he gets in. He's just one of those borderline cases where nobody's upset if he doesn't get in. And nobody's, like, crazy banging the gobble. This guy definitely should be in. He's a surefire Hall of Famer. Banging the what? Gavel. Gavel. Yeah. You said gobble. Did I? Well, maybe I'm... Sneak through there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. It's Thanksgiving, so it's got to be gobble. <laughs> you know what hurts Brent Young, too, is he started off his rookie year, they win the Super Bowl, and then he plays on some really good teams, but then they go through a stretch where they were just awful. And that, I, mean, I don't care what anybody says, that is a huge factor in, in not only if guys get in, but how quickly they get in. Because if you have a, on, are on a good team and you make the playoffs and you have some good moments in the playoffs, you stand out to people more than if you're just a really good guy on a terrible team. And he played on some really bad teams. Well, I mean, you got to think of it this way. For a large majority of people, they only get to watch the game that's on their local networks. When it comes to playoffs, everybody's getting to see the game, which means if you stand out in the playoffs, everybody has seen you. If you stand out in the regular season, a large majority of the time, it's only to your local fans who already know how good you are. So it's definitely a playoff thing. But before we leave this topic altogether, there's one person in that linebacking group that you didn't mention that I want to mention because I've tweeted at him wanting to come on the dang show. I didn't get a response. So now I'm taking it to the podcast. 
Keiko <laughs> Spikes. We didn't draft him, but he brought in and he had a large part in, in the emergence of Patrick Willis. You know, he, he was that veteran there for Patrick Willis in the beginning. And I would love to have him on the show to talk about Fred Warner and talk about, you know, the emer- you know, we, we got the Niners moved on from Takeo Spikes because of the emergence of Navarro Bowman. So I think he would be an interesting person to get on there. And he's also somebody that deserves mention in this lineage of linebackers. Come on, Takeo, do the right thing, please. Also, he has the biggest neck of any human being I have ever seen. If you have not Googled a picture of Takeo Spikes, please do it because it's unlike any neck that you have ever witnessed in your entire life. It's like a tree trunk. Yeah, he's definitely not a guy I would want to get on the wrong side of. So don't be mad at me, Takeo. But do come on the show. (laughs) So, okay, we sort of veered off course of things that we're thankful for, but it was a good Hall of Fame discussion. For what it's worth, really quickly, uh, I talked to Bob Glauber before the season or earlier in the season, and he's a Hall of Fame voter. And he said he thinks Patrick Willis is eventually going to get in. So hopefully that does happen. Did you say gobbler? Gobbler? <laughs> sounded like sounded like you said gobbler for the for his name. Bob <laughs> Glauber. Just it's Glauber. G L A U B. Don't try and turn it around at me just because you said gobble. <laughs> you know, I I did have. Two quick things I'm thankful for that I want to get in here. One, somewhat joking. One, a little sentimental. First off, I want to say I'm thankful for taking a punter in the fourth round because, hey, he's averaging 48 yards a punt. And even more impressive, he has three tackles this year. That's important. (laughs) Free Mitch Wisnowski. Let him run the fake punt, Kyle. Come on. But the sentimental thing is uh, I'm going to cry here. Uh, I'm thankful for this podcast. There, I said it. Really? Well, heck yeah. I got back into the media game because I missed it. I got back in writing. I never really thought of podcast being something I would necessarily get. And I certainly didn't think I'd be getting one with Niners Nation and SB Nation just two years in. So, Wow. No, it's funny you say that because I was going to include you in the list as well. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful that you are so bad that you make me look better by comparison. So I appreciate your all your efforts in that department. No, but seriously, I couldn't do this without you. And uh, I really do appreciate you have a lot of good ideas. I don't always listen to them, but you voice them and I appreciate it. And I appreciate you. So thank you. Yeah, well, I certainly have tuned you out in the past, as we all know. Yes, often in the <laughs> middle of recording a podcast. <laughs> All right, there's more important things, you know? Yes. Let's take a break, and then we'll get to, because I have a couple more on my list that I want to get to, um, a couple more offensive ones, really. And uh, so we'll take a break, and we'll do those when we come back. We're back here on the Thanksgiving edition of the Gold Standard Podcast, and we're running through a list of things that we are thankful for. And I have one more on my list, actually. I'm going to take two and sort of condense them into one. And that is, the offensive situation that the 49ers have right now, because I think that other than the quarterback, all the pieces are in place for this to be an offensive juggernaut. You have skill position players like Kittle and Debo and Ayuk. Mostert is there in the running game. Everything is set up in terms of the chess pieces. And then you've got a grandmaster in Kyle Shanahan in terms of moving them around and putting them in positions to succeed. And the nice thing about that is, You don't have to worry about Kyle going anywhere. You know, if you have a defensive head coach and he's got a really good offensive coordinator and you start scoring points, 
Well, that guy's going to get a head coaching job somewhere. You're going to lose that person, which could screw up everything. Well, you don't have to worry about that with the 49ers because it's Kyle's offense. It's his system. It's his show. And he's not going anywhere. So everything is there for a quarterback to be massively successful. And now that the 49ers, I think, are going to be officially quarterback shopping this offseason, I'm grateful for the position that they are now in. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't want to go negative on what you're thankful for, but I'll just say those pieces are great when they're healthy. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's fair. I mean, we've seen it this year that they've certainly been banged up. But I feel like I'm hoping anyway that at least next year, if there's injuries, they're not going to be all at the same freaking time, which is really what sank them. Because I think the depth on the roster is there to be able to sustain a loss of Ayuk for a few games and the loss of Debo for a few or Kittle, just not all of them together at the same time. So I'm hopeful that even if we do have injuries next year, it's not in like a giant tsunami of death like it came this year. Yeah, what are what are we? We're sixth string running back at, at one point? Like, <laughs> what's going on? Like, there's just not much to say. I mean, there, there was one point where we played a game without our starting quarterback, starting running back, second string running back. If you want to say third string, depending on where you have McKinnon, you could say third string. And then we were without number one receiver, number two receiver, and we were without starting tight end. Like, okay. <laughs> That's like every single skill possession per, uh, position person. Yeah, it's been a great year so far. <laughs> and we turned negative. Um, Look at that. Well, that was my my last thing on the list. Um, I want to get your take on something because Niner Nate talked about this on Tuesday and Kyle and Akash talked about it yesterday. And that is where you come down on the idea of what you want the 49ers to do the rest of the season. Because we put a poll up at NN Podcast on Twitter. What do you want to see? And the two options were try and fight and claw and make the playoffs or miss the playoffs entirely. And it was basically 50-50 split down the middle. My point of view on this is try to win every game. Losses are going to happen regardless. So you'll still get the benefit of the loss, so to speak, when it comes draft time. There's been too many years as a 49er fan where we've gone into it knowing that the playoffs were not a possibility. I don't want to just give one of those away on purpose. So I'm still in fight for the playoffs mode. Where do you come down? Uh, I'm I'm in the be competitive, don't be an embarrassment, but kind of be happy if they lose at the same time. I, I don't know. I, I can never bring myself to openly root for losing like when the game comes on, I'm still hoping they win. But the best case scenario is the Niners lose. Like, that's what's best for the team. So ultimately, like, that's what we should all be rooting for. I mean, crap can happen once you get into the playoffs. So, yeah, if the Niners can get into the playoffs, they would have a chance. You know, if Jimmy's back and not the regressed Jimmy, but the actual Jimmy from last year then maybe they have a chance. But with the way this division is and what the records currently sit at, the actual chances of making the playoffs for the 49ers is slim to none. So it's not really worth going for, in my opinion, because what's going to end up happening is you're going to win a couple and you're going to be sitting at 7-9 and and not be drafting high enough to get your guy. 
Well, hopefully the 49ers front office is aggressive enough to get them, regardless of where they fall in the draft. So, okay, if if that's your feeling, though, if you're saying, look, it's probably not going to happen, what do you want to see from this team the rest of the year? What do you want to see from, I mean, who cares about Mullins because he's not going to be a factor going <laughs> forward, but like guys like Ayuk and Debo and, and, you know, some of the younger guys on this team, what are you looking for? For them to feed them, you know, like Zeke said, feed me. They need to, in my opinion, do what's best for the future, which is stay pass heavy. I know Mostert is coming back. Don't go back into this try being content and happy to run 40 times a game. Certainly run him some, keep the defense honest, but you got a bunch of young receivers that need to develop. Debo is coming back from injury. He's only a second-year receiver who, between all the injuries, has missed about half a season. And you got Ayuk, who's a rookie. Keep passing. Like, call it a little more pass-heavy heavy than you would in a normal season where you're trying to win absolutely every game and doing everything you can because it's what's best for the team in the long run. If these receivers can develop, they could have one of the best two-man tandems in the league at receiver. You know, your advice kind of matches up with Jerry Rice's advice for Kyle Shanahan earlier this week. He basically said, don't run the ball on first down. Like, keep throwing the ball on first down because you you don't want to be so predictable on offense. The only problem is it's fine to say that, but you actually have to be able to do it. You have to be able to protect Nick Mullins long enough, and he's got to be able to make the right reads to be able to get Debo and Ayuk the ball. And I have no confidence in him right now to be able to do that consistently because if he could, we wouldn't be four and six. All I got to say about that is uh, I guess I was right. I called myself the Jerry Rice of this show, and, well, there you go. Two goats thinking alike. (laughs) (laughs) You've elevated yourself to a status far beyond your station. What happened to the nice sentimental guy that was on this show like 10 minutes ago? (laughs) Uh, That guy was not the real you know, that was the guy with the mask on. <laughs> yeah, see, now the true colors have shown through. Uh, but let's get into this Rams game a little bit as we as we look here this week. Kyle and Akash said yesterday, don't think this game is going to go similar to the week six game, which kind of like made me cringe a little bit because in my head I was thinking like, we've already beat this team already. The game plan that week was ultra conservative in terms of what we asked the quarterback to do. Why couldn't they do that again, especially if Debo's back and Mostert's back? Why? Uh, Because that game was the worst game Aaron Donald has ever played, and that's not going to happen again. That's why. If Aaron Donald has an even average game by his standards, there are so many offensive plays that he blows up that the Niners have no chance. Like Aaron Donald was pissed after that game, if you remember, gave no credit to the Niners in the post-game press conference. I can't remember the exact thing he said, but he basically, you know, said that they didn't really do anything. He didn't notice or something like that. So I feel like he's going to be out for blood. And then there's also the thing, I think what Kyle's beaten the Rams six times since he took over, like there's very much a sense of the Rams are going to want to make a statement and, are going to want to rub the Niners' nose in it if they can. Like this, this is a game I think that means a heck of a lot more to the Rams than the Niners. Is what I'm saying. That may be true. I mean, certainly the Rams look. They're trying to win the division. They're trying to get as high a seed as possible in the NFC. And like you said, the Niners are 
probably not going to make the playoffs. Although, I mean, a win this week by the Niners, and if the Patriots can do their part and beat the Cardinals, then all of a sudden things do get a little interesting for the Niners. I will say that. And I just, I, I try to go into each week with something to watch and something to play for. And I just, I don't want to go in with so many games left being like, all right, let's just watch for the development of guys. That's fine. But hopefully we can do both, right? Win and develop guys. That'd be a cool little addition. Uh, yeah, good luck. I mean, since when are you Mr. Positivity? It's Thanksgiving, man. Come on. People are people are in their cars. They're maybe they're going places or whatever the case may be. I'm trying to give people a little a little uplifting message as opposed to your doom and gloom on the holiday. I mean, right now so many people are well, maybe not because of 2020, but I was gonna say so many people are dealing with their in-laws. So yeah, maybe they could use some positivity because they're probably in a cranky mood as it is, but you know, it is what it is. I'm I'm not going to change because of the season. Put it that way. I'm not that tight. Well, thank God for that. Nice to know I have I have old reliable Evan Black to lean on in, in tough times and good times. Um, one more thing that came up that I wanted to get your take on, because you're a lot smarter than me when it comes to this particular area. Eric Davis told Sports Illustrated that he thinks Richard Sherman can be the next Merton Hanks, which to me was really surprising because I don't know how many of our audience remembers Merton Hanks or even got the chance to see him, but he was really freaking good as a safety. And Kyle and Akash talked about it yesterday. Kyle basically (laughs) shot it down big time, said he would tell Eric Davis to his face that he's wrong. Uh, We tweeted about him. He did see it, which is nice to see. Um, do you think that Richard Sherman has the skills to be a good safety next year and beyond? No, the game has changed since Martin Hanks played. Not that Martin Hanks was necessarily a slow safety. Sherman would be the slowest safety in the league. I think there's a reason why so many teams are going out and trying to find these speed demons at safety. And it's because you guys, you got guys like Tyreek Hill running down the field for the other team. They got to have crazy speed to not allow these guys to get behind him. Sherman, no doubt he would be phenomenal at recognizing the play early. I think Sherman probably could get quite a few interceptions in a safety role, but there's also going to be plenty of plays where a guy just runs past him and he's the deep safety and it's a touchdown. Like I I don't think this is something that like 15, 20 years ago, Sherman would be perfect. And you saw Charles Woodson do it where Charles Woodson started to get pretty slow. But Charles Woodson, I don't think, was ever as slow as Richard Sherman is now. I just don't think Sherman has the speed for the modern NFL. Yeah, I mean, Charles Woodson won the Heisman as a defensive player, which is, like, unheard of even, you know, still. So he clearly had more athletic ability, I think, than Richard Sherman. Not to say that Richard Sherman's not athletic, but Charles Woodson is a freak. Um That's the same thing that Kyle basically said, that Sherman just does not have the speed to be able to recover. When it comes to the 49ers' safeties, though, would you trade a couple more big plays allowed for a couple more big plays made? Because that's not what they do. They don't make big plays and they don't allow big plays, but you're saying you think Sherman could get a couple interceptions. Yeah, I mean, his ability to recognize a play is, I don't think there's any doubt he's the best at it in the NFL and has been a long time. That's how he succeeds. He is the smartest corner the league has ever seen potentially like that is his strength 
He is incredibly smart and he's able to recognize things early. But then, I mean, there's another aspect to it. We all know what made Sherman so good as a corner. Yeah, part of it's that play recognition. The other part of it is he's huge for a corner and he's able to bully the receivers. Well, as a safety, you don't get that opportunity. Like, you're not matching up at the line of scrimmage off the snap with a receiver very often. You're coming in late. Like, your job is to recover, as you just said Kyle put it. Your job is to, oh, that guy got beat and the pass is coming. I got to get there in time to blow up the receiver and stop it from being a completion. You're not going to be able to do that. Like, there's so many deep passing routes. There's a lot of times where safeties are stuck in the middle and they got to wait for the pass to start to be thrown or see where the quarterback is looking and then break on it and have the speed to still get there. That's just not Sherman. Like, it is what it is. Take that, Eric Davis. What do you know? (laughs) I don't want to put Eric Davis down because he obviously knows a heck of a lot, but he also played in the 90s. Like, the game has changed. And I know he knows that, but the safety position has changed. There's a reason why the Niners, as mediocre as they have been, have two speed demons at safety. That is required in this system especially. And I don't know how good Sherman would be playing up close to the line of scrimmage as a run stopper. Like, say what you want about, you know, even even Tarverius Moore, Marcel Harris, like those guys will throw their body around and, and take down some some ball carriers. I don't know that Richard Sherman's doing that, and that's part of a safety's job too. Yeah, and I mean, there's another aspect to this. Does Sherman want to be a safety? He's going to get a lot less money if he chooses to make that swap, I think. If he comes and back... Right. If he comes back at the end of this year and does decently well, somebody's going to pay him pretty good money, like pretty similar to what he's paid currently because he was an all pro just last year. Now he probably won't get a long contract, but he'll probably get like a two or three year deal that pays him considerably more than what he would get as a safety because safeties are not paid anywhere near what corners are. Yeah, it's interesting. I thought you would agree. I just wanted to get your take on that because it's something that I had brought up earlier in the year and Kyle had told me, I don't know if it was text or when we had the conversation, but he was basically like, nah, I don't think so. So when I saw that Eric Davis had said it, you know, I wanted to kind of puff out my chest a little bit, like, see, I know what I'm talking about, but you know, all the arguments you just said make sense to me. So yeah, I don't even know that I'd want to see the 49ers sort of experiment with that. I don't, I don't like a lot of uncertainty going into a season. And if they went into 2021 with Richard Sherman as their free safety, like, That would make me nervous. I mean, there's another aspect to this that hasn't been touched on. The Niners could have a completely different defensive scheme next year. That's possible. Because you think Salah's gone. I think Salah's going to get a head coaching job, yeah. I mean, all the injuries the Niners have had, on the defense, they've lost Boza. D. Ford has pretty much not played at all. You've lost almost every corner at some point this season, including games when you literally didn't have – any of your top three healthy, you've lost a safety, you've lost linebackers, and yet the Niners are eighth in offense. And more than that, they're fourth in passing defense. Like his scheme is really good. I mean, we were talking about it pre-show. I kind of set, I put it this way, and I think it's the best way to, to put it. We have harped on Salah. We have been hard on Salah on this show. What he lacks is he will not adjust to what is to the game flow. He's not going to adjust to a guy getting hurt. We saw that. But his actual game plans heading into a game, 
are phenomenal. And that bears out with the results this year. Last year, you want to say, well, he had a ridiculous talent. It was the talent, not him. Fine. This year proves there's something to be said about Robert Sala's game plans. And I think the fact the Niners are going to most likely end up a top 10 defense with all the injuries means he's going to be at the very, very top of the head coaching search for a lot of teams. Let me ask you one more question before we go. And this isn't really a 49ers question, but let's, I'm going to make you a GM of a team, right? And you have to hire a head coach. Would you feel more comfortable hiring Robert Sala to be your head coach, especially after what he's done this year? Or would you be more comfortable hiring Eric Bieniemy to be your head coach? That's a tough one. Uh, it's hard to really say, in my opinion, without truly getting to interview, because a lot of what a head coaching job is, it's not really X's and O's. I mean, for some, it certainly is. Uh, but a lot of it is motivating. And having the respect of the players to where they go, yeah, that's a guy I'm going to let be my leader. You know, it's kind of like a pack leader thing. Your coach has to be somebody the players respect enough. Otherwise, you see people not necessarily following the game plan, people not completely buying in. That is a very big factor. And it's why when you see a coach start to get questioned and start to see like cracks in, is he the right person for the job, things unravel really quickly. And it's because the players start buying out. They start selling off. They realize this guy's not the future. And there's something to be said for that. You know, I don't think they're purposely going, well, I'm going to play like crap now. But when they don't buy into a game plan because they don't trust the coach, that is a very big thing. And Sala, he is, I think, phenomenal in that regard. I mean, that's probably his biggest strength is that, he is somebody people are going to fall in line behind. It doesn't hurt that he looks like he could twist you into a pretzel, too, if you don't listen to him. Right. And I, I don't really know Eric Bahimi well at all, if I'm being honest. Like, I don't I don't know much about him in terms of how he is on the sideline and leader of men. Obviously, he's a phenomenal mind in the game and would be great in that aspect. I don't know how good he is attitude-wise. And I think that is a really big thing for a head coach. So... To me, Salah is a really, really good head coaching candidate because you know he's going to be a phenomenal leader. And what you want out of a head coach is not necessarily adjustments. You want somebody that's going to be able to create a game plan or help create the game plans. And then you have your coordinators make the adjustments. Yeah, you're right. I agree. There's a whole management aspect to the job that often gets overlooked. They sort of, we we decide who the good candidates are by their X's and O's usually with their coordinating skill. And then we hire them for a job that's not based <laughs> largely on those qualifications, which always seems weird to me for sure. But we'll see. I, I agree. I think the Niners defense is going to look a lot different next year in terms of players and coaches. I mean, it could be totally different. Let's be honest. We, this could be a completely different defense. I mean, you've got the core there, right? Warner, Armstead, Bosa. I think Emmanuel Mosley is coming back. He's a free agent, but he's not an unrestricted free agent. So chances are he comes back. And probably Jimmy Ward since they just re-signed him to a deal. But other than that, I think every other spot is up for grabs. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think if Salah does get a head coaching job, which I would put it at a very high likely at this point, but I think it'll be interesting to see what Kyle wants as the head coach. Cause I, I don't, we all know Kyle makes the final decisions. And when it comes to a coaching thing, 
you know he's going to have final input and who he wants is going to get that defensive coordinator job. It'll be interesting to see if he likes the system that is instilled right now so much that he will go out and hire somebody that knows the system but isn't necessarily experienced as a defensive coordinator. Or if he's going to go out and use the connections he has, which are substantial. I mean, he's a coach's son. He has a lot of connections throughout this league and gets a highly experienced defensive coordinator who might run a completely different system. Like, I, I think that's an interesting thing to see. Did Kyle want Sala because he knew him from prior stops? Or did he want Sala because he really wanted somebody who ran that system? We'll find out. I hope we don't find out, actually. I should say, I hope that no one <laughs> hires Robert Sala. I would like to see him. I really would like to see him be able to come back and make another run with the horses that we thought he'd have. And by the way, I should have mentioned Javon Kinlaw also, too, as part of that core, because clearly he is. Um, all right. I think that's going to wrap up episode 16 of the Gold Standard. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. If you've learned anything from today's show, if you take only one thing away from today's show, do not eat mashed cauliflower. That is clearly the number one message we have for you. Any Thanksgiving words you would like to leave the folks with, Levin? I just hope listening to our voices were a lot better than listening to your families. <laughs> wow. <laughs> insulting the audience before we go. Okay. Hey, that no, was- that's not insulting the audience. That might be insulting their family. It's up to each individual to decide. But, hey, you know, you're listening to a Niners podcast during Thanksgiving. So, you know. That was a different way than I thought that was going to go. I'm not going to lie. Nonetheless, we appreciate your, your listening. I don't know if your family does anymore, but that's fine. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the Niners Nation podcast. We always love it. And I especially like this one, Levin, from, from Dow Niner for Life. Rob Stats Guerrero just plain gets it. Fan podcasts are great for some people, but if you want more, if you want to listen to someone who actually gets it, then this is the podcast for you. He pulls no punches. Great podcast. I will continue listening every episode. Well, that's just my favorite review of all time right there. You know what he's getting at, right? You get it because you brought me over and you hired me. You get it. (laughs) No mention at all. That's my favorite review. Oh, how about this one? Niner 510. Absolutely delusional podcast makes Niner fans really look like they have no idea what they are talking about. Don't waste your time. Some of these hosts are hyping up garbage. They don't understand football on the most basic level. So there's one that talks about you. I knew you were going to say that. I was hoping you would pause and I could interject and be like, wow, everybody talks about you in these reviews. (laughs) Not my first rodeo, my friend. (laughs) All right, everybody, enjoy the holiday. Go Niners. Hopefully we're talking about a win against the Rams next week. Eat some turkey, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. 